Well, I'm the king of podcasts. There is none higher. Sucker co-hosts should call me sire. Does that make me the sucker co-host, or are you referring to an an alternate podcast for you? I've been waiting to call you out on that. Yes. Weeks. That's been bubbling in my head for weeks. I have nothing. I I can't. Uh, Okay, welcome to We've Been Ad. I knew we shouldn't have recommended Crush Groove to you. It's a mistake. (laughs) Never. The song by song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. Uh, I am Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And just for the record, I'm not recommending Crush Groove. Is it, it, it is a terrible movie with a lot of people that I really respect in it. <laughs> so that's that's a recommendation. Um, anyway, today we are continuing March 16th through 20th, 1992, which I am still calling March. Um, songs covered today are Criminals, Shaky Ground, and Satan, Your Kingdom Must Come Down. Uh, but first, so this is a little off topic, but I, I think it relates. Um, I feel like I'm the off topic guy. I feel like there's some <laughs> like there's some kind of like you're stepping on my toes here, but that's okay. Uh, no, Go I'm ahead. just I'm laying out a red carpet for you to take us off Excellent. topic. Um, so it's, since our last taping in this one, we saw Neil Young. Yeah, and uh, you know, like he's he's Uncle Tupelo adjacent. So I don't know. Any thoughts? Any? Yeah, I think you and I have a similar thought. I thought he was amazing, and I thought the crowd sucked. That was am- that, you know, we, we were talking offline about um, the Millennial Boomer War. Right. And, like, like that show made me want to take a side in that um, because that crowd was just, like, fucking shitty, drunk boomers trying to get Neil Young to pay attention to them. So I knew we were in trouble when I went to the went to the bathroom uh, at the State Theater, and it was like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it's the state, for people that aren't from Minneapolis, the State Theater is a pretty classy, old, like, vaudevillian theater. Yeah. And uh, it was like a keg party, because yeah. they had a bar in between my seat and the bathroom, yeah. and it was like, it was just a shit show. Yeah, you came back talking about how drunk everybody was, and I i guess I didn't think through, like, the, the implications of that. Yeah, it's and it makes me sound old, but, like, you know, like, I just want to get my Neil Young jam on. Like, I'm there to hear his voice, yeah. his guitar, his harmonica, not some ass clown behind me yelling cinnamon girl which he already fucking played well, the weird thing is that doesn't make you sound old because the people doing that were older <laughs> than you that's what's so fucked up about it that's what's so weird uh, you know so i mean like i don't know i feel like this is slightly on topic because we talked about this with uh, with tweety doing crowd work you know just trying to figure out what motivates people to yell at a show where you're paying you know you paid a lot of money to go into this show and like you're disrupting the show just yelling shit and what is it is it like this hope that like neil young will pay attention to you and like you're validated because yeah but he's validating that you're an asshole right it's, like how is that helpful it's such a weird headspace but and it wasn't just that night you know like the paper was very clear that all four nights in Minneapolis, it was like that. Apparently it was like that in Milwaukee. It just is aside from the fact that you're taking, taking out the, why do people do it? Like 
it's obvious that Neil Young, the person you're there to see, is not into it. Yeah. Like, he's annoyed with it. You have pissed him off. Why do you keep doing it? Yes. Like, the dude's been... I mean, how long has Neil Young been performing? Since the mid-60s. Like, he's not... Like, he's got a set list in mind. He's not going to... He's not going to go, oh, yeah, I'm going to play this obscure fucking track off Zuma because I heard some guy yell it. Yeah. I guess I was defeated because he did actually do that <laughs> part of it. But I, I don't know. I, I guess the one thing I can think of, uh, I can think of a time when I was that guy, though. At, the was, yeller? Yeah. Um, it was, and you were there, I think. It was one of the times you saw the Golden Smog at the 400 bar. Oh, yes, where you yelled out, the from, from the Fall, the fall guy? guy? Yes. So at least that was funny. <laughs> and I mean, it was an electric show. I, I don't know. That's still, wouldn't want to do that again. True, but, but I mean, were, were we even 25 when that <laughs> happened? Like, I feel like that, I feel like there's some, these people were in their 50s. Yeah, these people had 25-year-old children. Yeah, it was... Um, it, it, and one of our friend's wives that was there with us, who who you know might be the nicest person on earth, has never said anything bad about anybody to my knowledge, made a point to say that she thought the audience was full of a bunch of jackasses. Yeah, that's if you've if you've lost Jen Fitch, you've lost right? America. Yeah, I I just it was you know it's not you know I don't want to belabor it and make it like you know oh you know like I weep for humanity. But it's uh, that part of it sucked, yeah. and it was it really covered up our really good show. Yeah, oh. like I think the coolest thing about that was it. It appeared that like you know he had a rough idea of what songs he wanted to play, but like the instrumentation was just like what was in his sight line. Yeah, pretty clearly he'd be like you know he'd pick up a guitar and look at it and set it down, grab a different one. I guess at the Northrop show he didn't use the pipe organ at all. Which I'm, gl- is, I'm glad we got to see the pipe yeah, organ in use. Yeah. Uh, so, one other thing I just wanted to mention on the air. Um, this is away from Neil Young. I had this stupid experience where, so like, I always feel, I just perpetually feel like I'm not doing a great job of keeping up on what's new in music. You know, like I got it's a couple of bands recording now that I like, but you know, I know that like I'm not, I don't have a finger on the pulse. So every every time I'm in the car and I hear um, new music on the current that I haven't heard before that I like, I'm like, all right, cool. This is maybe something. This, maybe this is something new I can check out. And Rebecca and I were driving around the lake the other day, and a song comes on with this, you know, kind of airy guitar part playing, and uh, you know, it's just kind of jangly, but there's some distortion, and I'm like, wow, this, you know. Whoever this is, like, I really like the way they're playing that guitar. That is the way a guitar should be played. Whoever this is, I'm on board. I want to hear who this, I want to hear who this is. I want to check this out. Uh, and then the vocals kick in, and it's fucking Jeff Tweedy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so, like, I mean, great, but. Uh, yeah, he's, he's so, infected your psyche. So much for finding something new. But, I, you know, I like that I know what it's like song, I guess. <laughs> anyway, okay. Should we uh should we dig into the album? Yeah. All right. Okay, well, let's uh let's talk about criminals. What do you think about the criminals? Well, so I, 
I guess this is kind of an interesting part of the album because you get like you get like two J for R downers back to back. Yeah, like you you don't you know you you kind of so but uh, but I mean I do I do like it. I kind of wondered I didn't I couldn't find the actual credits. I wonder if Tweety is even on either of these two songs. I don't think he is on Criminals. Um, Were you able to tell? Is it a? It, it sounds like a twelve string guitar. I think to it's me. a twelve string. Yeah, yeah that's so. I kind of, I, I kind of thought that, and I'd never noticed this before, but the guitar style that he employs here is sort of the like acoustic version of the off on, or you know, kind of loud soft yeah. that you see on the earlier albums. It's electric, so he he does that kind of soft finger picking. Yeah, and then he has kind of those like curtains of sound. Yeah, chords. That's that's a good way to put it. It's, I mean, it's because it's really, it's just one guy up there with a guitar. It's yeah. really, it's really a powerful, powerful song. And, you know, like, I don't want to harp on this over and over, but I guess I'm gonna. The fact that there are so many songs in this album that are just one guy and a guitar and they sound great. Like, it, it's in such stark contrast to the way Still Feel Gone was produced. Um, you know, if they had tried to do that on Still Feel Gone, it would have sounded like a disaster, even setting aside, like, the contrast, you know, with the rest of the album being electric. Like, I don't know. Like, they just, I don't know if it's Buck or Barbie or whoever the other, is John Keane? Yeah. Who, whoever was miking the acoustics knew what the fuck they were doing. They're, and, they're recorded very well. I also appreciate the little shout-out to the... Uh, George H.W. Bush campaign speech, the kinder, they want us kinder, gentler at their feet. Yeah. And I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but at this point in history, like he can be referred to as the good Bush. I, you know, there's this sad thing where I, I don't like him, but if I were to rank the presidents, the presidencies I've lived through, he's in the upper half just by default. Like, and not, I mean, if you were to rank the Bushes, like, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, runaway success there. I mean, you're you're just you're, even the ones. I mean, even the ones that aren't famous are probably douches. <laughs> like, what? I mean, you know, he at least seem. I mean, like, I, I don't really agree with this politics, but he at least seem to be like a human being at point at times yeah. i guess when he wasn't invading other countries and shit like that but i mean it's weird because he he sucked but like imagine a modern republican using the lines that they wanted a kinder gentler america as a campaign speech right like that that you wouldn't hear that now no it'd be a country full of pussies yeah Anyway, so yeah, I guess uh, the official position of we've been had is George H. W. Bush sucks less than some other. <laughs> That's accurate. <laughs> but there's the doing some research. There is a Pitchfork article that uh, that is like seven. It's called Seven Times Uncle Tupelo Predicted the Political Mess We're In. Oh shit! Which is is a pretty entertaining. Like, I mean, some of that is, like, if you're JFRR, like, like you're just throwing a lot of shit against the wall. So, yeah. like, some of it's going to come true. Like, you know, like, there's, you put enough dystopian thought out there, like, some of it's going to hit. Yeah. But I, it's an interesting article. I would recommend checking it out. So what are some of their predictions? You know, since I was telling Keith that I went 
old school here and just wrote them down. I don't have the actual oh. article in front of me. I just gotcha. wrote down the uh, the title of the article so as so as to cite them correctly. Gotcha. I don't want to deal with the pitchfork legal department. Fair enough. I uh, you know, like it's weird. It's weird to me. I didn't notice before we started doing this. I was aware that Jay Farrar sang a lot about social justice. Um, I wasn't aware how dominant that was. I mean, that, that's really that's like that's his hobby horse. And you know, like again, that speaks well of him. Like sometimes, sometimes it's a little like, oh, come on, man. But I don't know. Like, fuck. At least he cares. And he's got, I think he's got a great voice for it. Yeah. Like it, some of the, some of the lyrics in this song are almost like Orwellian. Yeah. Like, you know, we have shackles to keep the laws made by men who bought and sold themselves. Like that's, it's pretty dark. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing that, that that's my biggest note that, uh, you know, last week when we started talking about the album, uh, you know, I was talking about like, this hit me when I was at my, farthest farthest left in my lifetime um you know and i i was like actively convinced then that uh society was set up intentionally with laws on the books that would make anyone a criminal so that you could be arrested at any time if the powers chose to if the powers wanted you off the street there's always a law that can get you off um I think that's basically the message of this song. Like, not even reading between the lines. I think those are the lines. Um, now I think it's a little more nuanced than that. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Like, it, this song was telling me what I wanted to hear then. And, you know, and when Farrar wrote it, he was... Uh, he couldn't have been much older than 25. And he was probably roughly the, roughly the same mindset I was when I heard it. And also, I think just if you take a step back, like if you're presumably they were in a band trying trying to make records that would sell, like it's kind of impressive that they took a, they went from a, a pretty electric, just doing a acoustic record with, with some covers on it and some, you know, like a lot of God references. Well, that's in the backstory of the record, though, that they... They were getting so screwed by Rockville that they were just like, fuck you. We're, you know, <laughs> we're, we're going to make, we're going to make this without any concern for, for sales. And in fact, maybe be anti-sales because we're not going to see any money anyway. So well, it's kind of cool that that actually results in a good product yeah, and not just, you know, mailing it in. Yeah. Not arc. Yeah. To bring Neil Young back into it. I wonder if anyone ever asked him about that. They must. What was the plan there? What was, <laughs> I guess, I mean, it, you know, there's a lot of experimental music out there. Maybe he was oh. just, he just wanted to dabble with amplifier sounds. I, I will bet you cash money that somewhere within five miles of us, there's a person who would say that Ark is their favorite album. I hope that's accurate. I, I, I really want to have a beer with this person because <laughs> I, like I just teach me. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I don't know why, like uh, just when we started talking about art. Okay. So I just finished reading or not just, I, um, 
recently finished reading the Beastie Boys book. And in that part of it, they're talking about how um, the idea with the hot sauce committee, part two. Great name. <laughs> it's, uh, like the joke with that album was that they were going to say that it was based all on um, samples of obscure al- of albums so obscure you've never heard of them. And it was actually like them trying to record different <laughs> different styles, which rules. Uh, you know, the actual album doesn't live up to its concept. But I, that makes me think like I would I want to see some hip hop artist with just balls of steel try to build an album around samples from ARC. And like, like that that's your challenge is like all you can do is sample ARC. Good luck. So I guess uh, just one corollary of the Beastie Boys thing. Like I hope there's I hope that there's some fan out there who didn't get the message that they were doing it themselves <laughs> and like tried to source all oh, of those. That's that uh, in the book it's clear that's absolutely what they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> like they made up they made up album art for the fake albums. They, they, Cause you know there's some there's some hipsters gonna be oh, like I'm, for sure. I'm going to put together a Spotify playlist of all this. Uh, yeah. That is absolutely the bear trap they were hoping people would step into. That's, that is a noble goal. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, so back into criminals. Another, so, okay. I talked about, you know, the, the realization about just how social justice focused Jay Ferrara is. The other thing with this album, I had never realized before just how much of a J for our album this is, you know, like we are, we're four songs into it. And this is the second just J song. And I think like wait up is such a great song that it makes you think there's more Tweety on the album than, yeah. than there is. It's, it's almost not an album as much as it's like vignettes yeah. of individual performers. Yeah. So it, you wonder just what, was in their headspace at that time. Like, cause clearly they, they were on a road to breaking up. Yeah. And at this point, you know, Mike Heidorn has basically maybe not formally left the band, but has essentially left the band. Yeah. So it's like the, they've lost the glue that kind of, that, you know, that kind of keeps these two personalities from imploding. Yeah. And so you're just going to wonder if they were, were like starting to just have had enough of each other. And it seems like it just when you listen, you know, when you listen to what's going on in the song, it's like they, they, there's not that much musical interaction between the two of them. It's uh, yeah. I'd never thought about it that way. I just, interesting. It, I mean, to be candid, I'm not sure that I've listened to a lot of songs in this album for a while. Uh. Um, so this has been a helpful refresh but you kind of have this conception that it's a band and they just all go to the studio together and yeah. record the songs. Yeah. And in this case, maybe that's not what happened. Yeah. Although they recorded it in such a short amount of time. Yeah, they must have all been around. I don't know. I mean, you hit a weird thing there just in passing too, that like I, you know, if asked, I would always say that like, you know, I mean, it, it's in a band with four albums, it's tough to say like, oh, well, this is one of the great ones. But, you know, I would have said like March is like, you know, not the best because it's not Anodyne, but it's, you know, it, it one of the most important Uncle Tupelo albums. Um, 
But I, until we did this, I never listened to this thing. I never sit down and listen to it uh, until I've been doing my homework here. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's been that's been good. Yeah, like it's. Uh, I was at a just. I think this is just totally driven by this process. Like I was at a record store last week and I saw they had a used copy of Trace uh-huh. uh, and I bought it and I just sat down and listened to it and like. It's just like I I feel like the side A of Trace might be the best side A ever. I uh, it just is it's amazing. Like it's unreal. Yeah, it's it's really good. You like you think about it like it's you know it's a good album, but I primarily listened to it previously on CD yeah. and now on Spotify. So it's like you know I don't necessarily listen to it in the order that it's yeah, constructed, but that's one of the things I like about vinyl is it kind of forces you to. You're gonna cons- sit with their vision no matter what. Because I'm too lazy to get up and and change the song. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else on criminals? I don't really. I don't. I don't I think so. I think we can go to uh, go to shaky ground. All right, let's take a break and hit shaky ground. <laughs> We are back. We are on shaky ground. Holy shit, Chad. Another song about a coal miner. (laughs) (laughs) So I was thinking like if their friends made fun of them for coal miner songs, maybe it wasn't the the first coal miner song. Maybe it's they get to the second one and then the wanky wanky gesture starts. Yeah, you you feel like maybe the maybe the coal mining references are I, it, it, and the the problem is, is it, it's got like, if you're looking for like Jay Farrar imagery, it's got a lot of really good stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Like you know, like just it doesn't have to be a coal miner though. Like it could be <laughs> anybody. Okay, here's the thing: it does have to be a coal miner for the weirdest ass reason. This is the only song, like. I guess I, I quit listening to Sunvolt Records after I don't remember which one. Wide, Wide Swing, swing Tremolo. Tremolo probably. Yeah. Um, you know, but like having paid really close attention to most of Jay Farrar's career, this is the only song I know of in his entire body of work that has not just a joke, but a pun. You know, he never got to see the world. He got a funeral and this minor song boom oh, i didn't even i didn't even pick up that that was a pawn oh, that's that's how dry the j Farrar wit is but you it's know. like it, it's this kind of like and i full disclosure like i i've never worked in a coal mine like i work in an office like on the scale of dangerous jobs it's very low but i think we can all empathize with the like the lines dragged himself to work worked himself to death working for somebody else. Yeah. Like, you know, if you just take that kind of triplet of, of lines and you're like, you're like, it's just a really sad thing. Yeah. Like you, you know, you, you look like, it's like somebody in this case, I wrote minor and underlined it, Hmm. but it's like, never got to see the world. And then you're, he's, all he got was a funeral 
and this miner's song. Huh? It's like the it's almost like the river, the Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. You know, like for my nineteenth birthday, I got a union card and a wedding coat. God, and that is uh, Yeah, that's a downer. <laughs> but but like th- those lines specifically are what made me like, oh fuck, Springsteen is Springsteen's for real. But it's got that same that same feel to it where it's like it, it just it feels very bleak. Yeah, extremely. Like, like they could just call this song bleak and it's like he, it was all going really well for Bobby until he got that job at the coal mine <laughs> and dragged himself to work, worked himself to death, ah. working for somebody else. That's a, a harsh, but you know, descriptive of the real world. Yeah, I don't know if you if you did any uh, YouTube research on this song, but I did. What do you got? So there's an awesome video of the song that has. Uh, it really has an amazing, like, it, I mean, it's a crappy video because it's just a static shot of, and I don't know, this is an aside, but I don't know why people post these on YouTube where it's just the song and then, like, a static image. I don't know what they're, like, there's a money angle to that that I don't get. Yeah, it's, but it's that kind of classic uh, Uncle Tupelo picture of the band walking outside that giant sign that says liquor, guns, and ammo. Yeah. And then it has that like muscle car with the license plate that just says X-rated, <laughs> which yeah. I don't know. I still have not heard anybody any determination if that's like a real. That's a really like the that's a staged photo. I mean, I'm sure them I'm, walking out of the store is staged, but yeah. like the car with the with the X-rated license plate, like it just seems like that's too too perfect. That is awfully perfect. Um. So just to interrupt here, if you're hearing booming and thundering when you're listening, Theo the dog has awakened and is trying to get us to play with his gator head, which is the head of an alligator. So we sorry for that. Tried to distract him with a pizzle, but he is it appears he's completed the pizzle. He is what we call in the business a power chewer. Um. Oh, but okay, but so the, is it like a live version? No, it's it's, it's the album version of the song. With a with a just, like static shot, which seems to be a thing. Like yeah. I don't know if it's like. Well, a, I think that's what you do if you don't have video. That's just. I just, I, I'm not a, like I'm not understanding how you monetize that or how that's worth your time. I. I what what's a Spotify subscription? Yeah. Six bucks a month. Yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. Makes me sound like a royale, but. <laughs> You're on shaky ground, Chad. I'm just. I'm like I, I think that of the things that I've spent money on in my life, like the monthly Spotify has not been something that I feel bad about. Like I feel like that's been a really good I have this weird mixed thing where like I I love it, but I know that someday they're gonna run into some licensing problem or you know, something's gonna happen and I'm gonna have lost, you know, N years of musical accumulation. And, and that's going to suck when it happens. True. But it's great now. And, like, you know, Rebecca was having trouble with iTunes today and just trying to help her with that. I got to see how shitty iTunes is these days. And, like, I'm glad I'm not on that fucking treadmill. Yeah. It's, uh, although it, it seems like Apple is trying to launch their own, like, Spotify service, right? Yeah. Like the Apple Music. Yeah. That I keep having to click out of yep. when I get Every a new time. Apple device. 
Not this time, Apple. <laughs> anyway, back to shaky ground. I do feel like this song is the rare Uncle Tupelo sequencing misstep. You know, putting it right after Criminals. You know, it's like, this isn't a bad song at all, but it's kind of the same tempo and sound and subject matter as Criminals. And so, you know, this is the point in the album where you're like, okay. It is a little strange that they put them back to back because Uh, it's like, and I feel like they got, they got better about this, uh, both on Anodyne and also in their solo work of not, you know, like, it's kind of like the, uh. The front man from the Eels always says, like, it's like, I never want to have more than two major bummer songs <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the first in the first half of a set, because I feel like that that just takes the crowd to a place that, that's not helpful. That's very wise. The the alternate version of Uncle Tupelo with with E in it would be something to hear. Yeah, so I mean I I I've seen the Eels perform live twice and both of them have been really good and both of them have been totally different yeah. so yeah. I, I i would recommend it if you're looking for a for a show that maybe is a little bit you can't really say the eels are under the radar can you i don't know i i honestly don't know like in my world they're huge but yeah. i don't know i don't know oh so one thing i wanted to throw out with this song um i always go to discogs for the liner notes um Discogs says that David Barbie is playing bass on this and Brian Henneman is playing the bazooki. So Does it wh- say what the bazoo- what a bazooki is? Yes. I actually I've got I've got a note about that. Um where is my note about that? So it's the bazooki is it's like a bass mandolin. It's from Greece. It works kind of like a 12-string guitar. Um so like the strings are in octave pairs. Um, I'd actually bet cash money that there's like a linguistic chain you can follow from the bazooki to the weapon, the bazooka, because yeah. the weapon. I, I know the weapon was based on like an instrument called a bazooka that. Uh, fuck, there's a gum. Some cartoon character played. Oh, bazooka Joe. Bazooka Joe, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. But, like, okay, so if you've got Farrar, David Barbie, and Brian Henneman recording this song, again, what the fuck are Hydorn and Tweedy doing while this is, while this multi track song is being <laughs> recorded? That's a good, that's a good point. You know, one that I had never considered because, like, David Barbie was the basis for Sugar. He was, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you have. Maybe it was just one of those things where you have like all this surplus musical talent and you feel like you need to deploy it. Yeah. Or, you know, they're, they're in the, the cultural mecca of Athens, Georgia. Tweedy and Hydorn wander off. Farrar gets hot and they're just like, we got to get this on tape right now. Yeah. I mean, it's possible, right, that Tweedy doesn't know how to play the bazooki, right? Yeah, but he can play the bass. He could, he could play the bass, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's more than likely he doesn't know how to play the bazooki. But. It's pretty impressive, like, because wasn't one of Brian Henneman's things that he learned to play the mandolin just yeah. for... Yeah. Yeah, and so that gets called out, but not that he learned to play the bazooki. So the implication is he just had that on the shelf already. Yeah, that is... 
It, it is a lot to ask, though. Like, can you learn the mandolin and the bass mandolin? Like, uh, I, I mean, I suppose it's just different tunings, but just different tunings. You know, that's like different wirings for your brain. Well, so, so like, as a musician, can you play, if you can play the guitar, can you play the bass guitar? Sure, because they're tuned the same way. So it's really easy. But so this is a thing that like guitars and banjos are usually tuned differently. Um, some places will sell banjos that tune like guitars to make it easy to go from guitar to banjo. But like everyone I know thinks that's just the biggest stroker thing. You know, that you are just a fraud if you've got one of these guitar banjos. So does Steve Martin have one of the guitar banjos? Is she a real one? I, I think Steve Martin's hardcore. He's the only famous banjo player that I know. Oh, Bella Fleck, dude. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you're gonna find out that my <laughs> my Bella Fleck fandom isn't that isn't that high. Man, well, I know what you're getting for your birthday. <laughs> Get ready for some Fleck tones. Excellent. Another note I had called out here. So I, I until I was like doing my homework on this song. I had never actually parsed the line, the nature of his work gave him a minstrel color. Okay, is that, is that okay? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess I had never, I'd have to, what's the entomology of the minstrel color? Like, is it It's the... blackface. He's saying, like, the guy worked in a coal mine. He oh. came out so dusted in coal dust that he was in blackface. Yeah, I, um, I think if, if the last three months had told us anything, that it's rarely a good idea to appear in blackface. Yeah, and you know, I mean, Ferrara's not saying that it's a good thing, but like, is that. So I wonder if Is he, he kind just, of cheapening the the insult by. Yeah, I don't. I can't imagine. Like, he, he's a pretty socially conscious guy. Yeah, I, I think that he, his heart is definitely in the right place. Just maybe a weird way to to express it. Yeah, it's um. I guess I have some complicated feelings about that because I I, I don't. It's honestly it's a little disappointing for me because like Jay Farrar is like a craftsman with his words. Yeah. So Like I feel like there's another way he could make that point. To be fair, in his defense, this you know this is 1992, so like. Awareness and just the general discourse on blackface has changed a lot since then. So like, like this is this isn't great, but I don't know that 2019 Jay Farrar would write that. Line. Probably not. I feel like what year did that taco video putting putting on the Ritz come out? Like that should have ended blackface as a thing. Was he in blackface in that? He wasn't, but the like the people in the background. Oh Jesus, were, you're right. Yeah. Where they're like, where they do that, like, super duper. Yeah. I don't know. I always liked that song, too. You did not. I did. <laughs> no, you did. did. You did not. You've I, never liked that no, song. No, here's the thing. I did, when it came out, I loved <laughs> it. And then, like, I got into, like. This is completely, I, I, this is revisionist no, history. No, no, dude. This is me owning up my own history. Like, I spent decades burying my love for that song and now I'm adult enough that I can say like 
except for the apparent blackface problem in the video, which is a huge problem. Just based entirely on the song itself, I like Taco's version. So you're so in my like, and I'm sure we've had this conversation, but in my imaginary, like, are you Team Taco or Team Falco? You're Team Taco. Uh, I, I guess I am. But here's the: I've got, I know several people with way better punk cred than I have, um, who are intensely Team Falco. And, like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Have you seen a picture of his grave? I know. I know. I know. <laughs> right? Like a boss. I, I don't know. The world's a confusing place. <laughs> that it is. That's all I got. <laughs> Getting back into shaky ground. I got another note here just saying this isn't a bad song, but it's not a bad song at all. It's a good song. But it's one that, like, this is one of those Uncle Tupelo cases where it's not giving you anything that you can't hear somewhere else on the... You know, there's no element of this that you're not getting somewhere else on the album. So, it you know, it, this is like the least essential song on the album, maybe. And they seem to have to have one of those on every album. It, it feels a little bit to me like if you were... So I know that this is top of mind because we just went to that Neil Young solo tour, but... This would be a good one if you heard Jay Farrar solo, like just him singing. Yeah. And you could kind of appreciate the power of his voice yeah. with minimal accompaniment. I think if I were seeing Jay Farrar solo, I'd rather see him play this than Coal Miner. Yeah, I think so yeah. too. I do. I mean, like, the thing the thing I like about this song, it, it reflects a thing that I've thought about a lot. That, like, if you just think about all humans who have ever lived, at least in, you know recorded history most human beings have lived just in drudging obscurity you know maybe being peasants maybe just doing shitty day jobs one way or the other um a lot of them being slaves um you know this this terrifying number of humans have worked themselves to death um yeah, that doesn't make for a dynamic song, but I think it's really good of Jay Farrar that like he's aware of that and acknowledging that and writing music about it. Yeah, it's definitely good perspective. But, uh, you know, it doesn't make you like pump your fists in the air. Yeah, it's it's it's. If you think about the time, you're not like you're not like running back to the merch table to buy the CD <laughs> after you hear "Shaky Ground, motherfucker." You have anything else on shaky ground? I don't. I think it's. I think it's time to to move into the Satan. Let us. Let's take a break for Satan. Okay, we are back. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I gotta say, this is another one that is a fucking banger when they did it live. It also, I guess I was under the impression that it was another Leuven Brothers cover. It is not. Uh, yeah, it's just traditional. Traditional, right? but... It's pretty, it's Leuven wheelhouse. Right, yeah, like, like it, it just felt to me like a Leuven Brothers song. Yeah. But So, like, looking through the credits, I'm like, oh, that's actually not, that's just a traditional song. I don't know if you 
So there's a video uh, on YouTube of the song posted by this guy who goes by, or I think it's a guy, who goes by the moniker Pants Elderly. <laughs> okay. But he has, he or she has this like amazing archive of Uncle Tupelo content on YouTube. Okay. So I don't know what their backstory is, but th- like, Thank you for putting all of that out I, there. I like, gotta check this out. Like it's all old content. It must be the he or she must be someone that either grew up with them or was a fan from the beginning. Hmm. But this video has like has the song "Satan Your Kingdom Must Come Down" with like a really mean fiddle part. Yeah, like Charlie Daniels Band level fiddle. Like <laughs> you know, like we're doing this, and it really like it's really impressive. Like yeah. it really makes a great live performance yeah let's well, i remember the uh if i think about that mississippi nights you know final show for the band like this song is what sticks out to me from that and it's just kicking ass yeah it's a great song um did you and and maybe this is just my just weirdness but did you go and look at any of the covers other versions of this song uh, are you trying to bring robert plant on the stage god damn right i am uh, yes, I saw Robert Plant make slow, sweet love to this song. Were you a little surprised that he didn't credit that as just Robert Plant? <laughs> just given the Led Zeppelin's history? Of, uh, you know, maybe of that... appropriating other people's stuff? Maybe the fact that he didn't is proof that that was all Jimmy Page. <laughs> it could be. I mean, it may have been mostly Jimmy Page. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Well, so my vague impression from reading a couple of books about Zeppelin is that Robert Plant is the only person in that band who is not just a total motherfucker. And I think he's probably a partial motherfucker, but, you know, he seems less just awful than... John Paul Jones is an awful human being? Yeah, he was pretty cynical, pretty... Nothing wrong with being cynical. I suppose. Fair enough. But there are some interesting... There's a Willie Nelson version... Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah, is that... a, it's okay. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's it's not great. But mm. there's also a there's a I think my favorite version. There's a Shirley Caesar version that's like a gospel version of the song. Okay, that's really cool because she's got a backing like gospel choir. That's pretty rad. Yeah. There's also, and this is this is gonna haunt me for a while. I think in my Spotify queue, but there's a Medeski Martin and Wood oh, version, fuck. which. These things seem to creep up when I'm, you know, when I put something on random. Ah. Like, oh, <laughs> uh, you listen to one Medeski Martin and Woods song on Spotify, and you're on a list. Right? Yeah, you should get a mailer. I guess I, um, I would be curious to know what they're like, because I think if I remember right, and I think you might have told me this even that that a lot of these songs appeared on a. On a, like a compilation, I dug into that a little bit, and so there are two compilations that like drove this album. Um, this one came off of a folk compilation. I didn't think to write down the name of it, but the other songs that were on that compilation were "Warfare" and "I Wish My Baby Was Born." Yeah, um, I don't remember what it was called, but I I kind of love that they were just like taking you know these smithsonian mixtapes and be like yeah fuck we'll do it all it is it is very bold in whatever year this is to to release a song with satan in the title right because like 
you know, like you're, you know, like you're gonna have like Tipper Gore or somebody like that on your ass yeah. for this. I gotta think, you know, like total speculation here, but I gotta think Peter Buck must have been pretty into that. It's like REM's too high profile to be writing songs about Satan, <laughs> but hey, I can produce a song about Satan. I just I feel like, and I for the life of me do not remember or do not understand why I remember this, but I saw an interview with someone from the band Striper, okay, which is like a Christian heavy metal band, and like their contention was they had a lot of trouble, they had as much trouble getting on the air as like satanic metal bands, just because like because they sucked. In their case, that's probably part of it. I shouldn't say that. I've no, I don't think I've ever actually listened to a Striper song, so perhaps they're phenomenal. They they are not. <laughs> they are not why, phenomenal. Why must you take this dream from me? <laughs> but like, so I, I think even though my point is, even though that like the the song is a, is sort of anti Satan, yeah. like just having Satan in the title probably turns a lot of people off. Right. It makes you think about Satan more than you would normally. You've got to evaluate which side you're on. You know, maybe you don't want Satan's kingdom to come down. So, uh, if, if we talk about the song itself, I've got you know I got a bunch of notes here. This is the rare time where they go back to like basically the same production as Grindstone. Um, I can't tell if Hydorn is playing drums with brushes or with a shaker here. I think the thing you hear that, you know, it sounds like there's some lead being played. I think that's Henneman rocking the bazooki, but I'm not 100% sure. It's just wild to me how, like, to me, this is another one of the standout songs of the album. And it's barely two minutes long, you know, and, and it has almost no words. Like, you know, the verses are all the same, just a few, I think, one word changes. Yeah, I mean, really what makes it is the kind of like the musicianship of, yeah. the, of the song. Yeah, well, that and like Tweety, it's this weird thing where Tweety is singing really low again here, um, but he managed, yeah, I don't know, there was that thing in, the, in his memoir where he talks about the person telling him to always sing like he sounds desperate. And he sounds desperate here, and that really helps sell it. And and you get the solid Tweety for our harmonies here that are like, when you're listening, it, it's shocking how rare they are on this album. Like this album you would think would be all Tweety for our harmony, and this is the first time it comes up. Especially because that's sort of what you think about when you think about Uncle Tupelo, at least for me, is like how well their voices blended together. Yeah. And especially on an album that's primarily acoustic, like you'd think... Oh, it's going to be mostly harmonizing. Yeah, and uh, it. But maybe I mean that might just be a. F- I, I guess I'll have to re-listen to the rest of the songs. That may be just a sequencing function of putting two, basically two Ferrar solo tracks back to back. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's very weird. I do have a note here. You know, again, dissing the Robert Plant cover <laughs> of it. Um, but uh, imagine. So, like, take the instrumentation and just the whole band vibe of, you know, the, the banging live Uncle Tupelo version of this. And imagine, like, young Robert Plant singing over that. 
That would be magic. So that would be awesome, but that's not what he did. That is not what he did. It was like he took all the soul out of it, extracted it, and then wore the skin of it as a hood. (laughs) Man, the soul is just in the deep nuances of his voice. And it's on you if you can't see that soul. Just wait for Keith's next podcast that compares and contrasts Robert Plant solo albums. (laughs) I don't know. Satan, your kingdom must come down. It's a fun song to play live. Yeah. It, uh... I mean, to play just on guitar, it's it's two chords. It's A minor and E minor, but you, like, do this cool arpeggiating in the A minor. Um, they didn't write it, but actually this is kind of the Cadillac of the Uncle Tupelo, just fuck with the fingering of a chord and you get a great song. The lead part is just the component parts of an A chord, like lifting and dropping your finger. Theo's eating the gator head. Yeah, he's, he appears to have broken in. R.I.P. Gator head. I, uh, I always, I'm always jealous of guitar players that can do things that are basic that sound really cool. Uh-huh. Like I feel like, I feel like they're just really good at, they're really good at using their instruments to, I don't know, to speak. When I was, I took a few guitar lessons. From from my friend Ben Glaros, who if you're in Minneapolis, take guitar lessons from Ben Glaros. He had this exercise where I would like he'd like show me you know the entirety of a scale, then he'd play a song and he would say, "I want you to just solo to this all the way through, but you can only play three notes. Like the solo is just has to be those three notes, and you just you've got to use timing and." You know, the way you flow from one to the other and dynamics. That's a cool exercise because, like, you really learn. Like, it's not just about, like, filling the space with a thousand notes. But, like, putting some feel into everything you do. It's interesting that you being such a Rush fan that you would say it's not (laughs) about putting a thousand notes in the space. I am a very qualified Rush (laughs) fan. I'm a Rush fan on about the same level that I'm a Taco fan. (laughs) Yeah, that's I. I just that's always my beef with Rush. Is it like, yeah. like there's no word count here. You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to jam it full of notes to to make your point. So you you come in on the Westerberg angle. You hate music. It's got too many notes. <laughs> in this case, I guess yes. Fair enough. But you, uh, I don't know. We were talking about favorite albums earlier in the podcast, ah. and. For some reason, that your Westerberg comment brought that up. Like, there is probably some. Well, I think we were talking about Ark, where someone is like thinking that was the best. Like, there is probably someone within a five mile radius of us right now who would go to bat for All Shook Down as the best replacements album. I, yeah, there has to be. Okay, so that's the thing I love thinking about, honestly, is like people who came into bands. You know, just by chance at like the worst time. And I was kind of that guy with the replacements because All Shook Down was the most recent replacements album when I heard of the replacements. Um, and I, I, you know, I dodged that bullet slightly. But th- there had to have been people our age who were like, oh, fuck, everyone says the replacements are great. They got a new album. Out. Oh. <laughs> mm. You know, but I mean, like, think about it. There has to be somebody who, like, there has to be. Thousands of people living in America in 1984 
who were like, yeah, my uncle says The Clash are so great. Oh, they got this new album, Cut the Crap. I'm going to get it. What the fuck? Yeah. That's, I guess that's kind of your worst case scenario, right? Like, I think that's, I don't know if it gets worse than that one. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an example. I can't, I, I cannot come up with one. Uh, but I mean, every band has it, you know. Like, if you every, were like, you're like, yeah, everybody says Led Zeppelin's awesome. I just got this album, Coda. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, oh, oh. I just don't get it. I don't know. But, but that has to happen over and over and over. I would guess, yeah. That's I mean, it's uh so that's the beauty of the uncle tupelo model you do four albums you make your last album the best you quit hey yeah, drop the mic leave them wanting more uh, okay that actually just bringing westerberg up reminded me of another thing this is way the swerves way the fuck out but i wanted to run this by you so i've been writing this thing about the band the virgin prunes they're kind of a goth band um, that got me thinking about, you know, how goth is in a weird way, kind of an outgrowth of punk. Mm-hmm. It's like people who listened to punk and wanted to take, you know, took it further, but then like put this theatricality and like heightened emotion on it, uh, which is in contrast to like the way first wave punk was all like minimalist. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, but really, the f- minimalism of first wave punk is kind of a minimalism and lack of pretense and theatricality is a crock of bullshit, you know, because like you cannot look at Johnny Rotten and say, like, this guy isn't trying hard to you know, there's no pretense. Here, yeah, right? the lack of pretense isn't accurate. Clearly, there's yeah. pretense here, you know, or you look at the Ramones. They're like, okay, these guys all dress the same. They, you know, like they're, they have a shtick. Yeah, it's, they, they definitely have an aesthetic that they're trying to, yeah, they're trying to put out there. And so, like, with that in the background, I, it, it occurred to me that Midwestern punk, Midwestern American punk, if you think about Husker Du and the early years of the replacements, and bands like Uncle Tupelo, that is the one case in punk, or the one area in punk where lack of theatricality really was taken seriously. You know, like the Minneapolis punk bands, the whole thing with the replacements punk years was like, we are just fucking drunks in flannel shirts who play music really loud. And Husker Du is... We are speed freaks in flannel shirts who play music really loud. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there's this thing where like, the Midwest is the one place where the punk lack of theatricality actually had teeth. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I guess I, I'm not as well versed in the, in the other, like, you know, like I, I know more about the Midwest. But I wonder about like the, like the Pacific Northwest where you had like, Bands like the Melvins. Yeah. 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 Fuck you. (laughs) I'm just, I I, I mean, you're right. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I mean, definitely a lot of the New York bands. Yeah. New York. It's all theatrics. Right. Like the New York dolls. The dolls. How the fuck do you look at the New York dolls and say like, yes, theatricality is not (laughs) on the table. But it's, uh, I'm sure they're, you know, I, I think, some of that too is is maybe a function of like a midwestern thing where like theatricality isn't probably going to go over yeah, as we, well. We we just don't cotton to that because we're just folks. 
We do have, we do have Troop Shakespeare though, like you know, Toolmaster Brainerd. Yeah, it's fairly theatrical. Sure, but they're all just dudes. Yeah, uh, maybe Prince. Oh, well, but Prince was you know not a punk, not, not a, a punk. punk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think I'm onto something here. I think I'm gonna definitely more to explore. Yeah. I've gotten us way the fuck away. No, I like it. Here. I like it. I like being far afield. Do you have anything else on Satan and his kingdom? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think that's. I think I'm good. All right. Well, uh, thank you everybody for listening. I am Keith Pilly. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. Um, and I'm Chad Cook. And you can find me at Twitter on at Cook six two five two. We would love to hear from you if there's anything you like or don't like. Uh, if you have theories on theatricality and punk, uh, or if you think we're a couple of dumbasses. We are. No, spoiler. Yeah, exactly. If you dug the show, please tell people about it or go to iTunes or Google Play and leave a review. Um, I got to throw this in. If you are into art or architecture, you should check out my other show, Art Pal. Uh, you can just search iTunes or Google Play for Art Pal, or keep an eye on my Twitter feed for that if you're interested. Thanks, and uh, talk to you. So creepy as fuck. <laughs>